everybody, Todd Coconado. I want to welcome you to today's Remnant Godcast. I have two men of God, and we're excited about this interview today. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. One of the gentlemen is named Dimitri Sala, and he is a Franciscan priest who's full-time in, in preaching and, and speaking uh, about God's Word. Uh, Dimitri, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Todd. It's great to be here. Thank you, Pastor Shane, for inviting me. Yes, and that and that brings us yep. to our other uh, home home team guest here, Pastor Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship. He's the senior pastor that's up in Antelope Valley. Welcome back, Pastor Shane. Hey, Todd. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you, Pastor, as always. Thank you as well. And uh, now you two gentlemen have connected, and I'm going to let you, Pastor Shane, kind of start off this conversation. I know you have a lot of things that you want to talk to Dimitri about, so go ahead and, and shoot your first question. Well, yeah, I think I, I kind of want to give the listeners a um, kind of a little background. I wrote an article about the differences, and Father Dimitri reached out uh, to me, and we kind of dialogued and said, "Hey, let's uh, let's talk about these issues." Number one, uh, he sent me sent me his book, "The Stained Glass Curtain," and number two, people might be surprised, you know, because like, why are you know Catholics and Protestants talking? Well, that's kind of the problem that we both see. Uh, is there's just a lot of jumping to the conclusions and and uh, things like that. But I think I should say up front that I'm not uh, I'm not personally uh, one for let's say an ecumenical movement. I I don't think uh, that where Protestantism is and, and Roman Catholicism is, I don't think there is there is some common ground through Christ, of course. But the differences are so big that I'm not a proponent of ecumenical movements. Um, so at least people know that up front. I know uh, Dimitri. Uh, isn't a pastor of a local church. He he travels and preaches, and so we're just going to kind of look at what he he wrote in his book and some of the misconceptions with with Roman Catholicism and Protestants, and and hopefully give people a better understanding of um, of where we're coming from. And I want to make sure the equal time too. So if I if I talk too much, Dimitri, just cut me off or Todd, and <laughs> and the same goes. You know, we don't want to we don't want to you know overcrowd. Uh, but I think the first thing you mentioned is good in page three. Uh, you said the Holy Spirit inspires us to believe that real reconciliation is approachable. And that's kind of my first point is, to me, unity is obviously not just unity for the sake of unity. Uh, it's unity in the Bible is unity of doctrine, uh, unity of faith, obviously, unity, unity through uh, faith in Christ and, and sound doctrine. So um, I would, again, from my perspective, I don't see how reconciliation is, is approachable uh, based on what Rome teaches. I'm sure that's, that's what we're going to get into in just a minute. But wanted to at least let you comment on that uh, quick sentence. Well, um, thank you, uh, Pastor Todd. Uh, Pastor uh, Shane, rather. Um, yeah, so, so uh, pretty much for, for a long time, um, the, the question of the unity of the Church has uh, revolved around two axes, kind of. Uh, one is doctrine, and the other is relationship. And uh, we can't have, obviously, we can't have unity unless our doctrine is in sync one with another. Uh, but relationship is just as important. And uh, what has tended to happen over church history is that we have emphasized one over the other, and both are necessarily important. Um, earlier on, when Promise Keepers had an uh, office here in Chicago, I was on the steering committee, and I learned that from them, uh, that um, we need to approach, excuse me, approach one another in brotherly relationship, in dialogue, and in listening. And um, and yes, there are differences, but um, uh, we would be surprised when we put the guns down, so to speak, and really just pause to listen to one another what we learn. And that's really 
that was really the whole um, emphasis uh, and the whole impetus for me writing the book, The Stained Glass Curtain. Let's at least start with proper information so that we can right, yeah. begin to look at doctrinal issues from the right perspective. Well, there's so much there, and I, I think you're right, because there is a relational aspect. Obviously, I have a lot of Roman and Catholic friends, but I think the confusion comes up when, let's say, promise keepers would have a priest on the stage or other organizations have a priest on the stage. Even though there's a relational aspect, um, people instantly go to what Rome teaches, and that's hopefully what we'll get into in just a minute. So that's why I, I think it's hard to find that balance, because, yes, we love the relational aspect, but there are so many things that we disagree with. However, reading your book, you seem to disagree with some of the church teachings as well. So you have you in the middle there, um, and then other priests that I wanted to talk to, they just they want to avoid this, this topic altogether. Um, but something, something else you wrote, the Reformation was a historical event from which we can trace our present division. Uh, the historic filter we've been talking about is called prejudice, meaning to judge beforehand. And that was the one I had a question on because I really don't, at least in studying church history, I go back to the 500, 600, 700, 800, 900 AD. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church had a period there where there was a, it was controlled by a very powerful and corrupt family, uh, you know, the Dark Ages and different things. So right. for me, it doesn't really start at the Reformation. You have Whitfield, you, uh, not Whitfield, you have Whitecliffe, Huss, uh, right. John Huss, burned at the stake, Whitecliffe, uh, Tyndale, William Tyndale, and these men were persecuted for simply translating the Bible. So I see this movement much earlier than, than the Reformation of 1517 with Martin Luther. And, um, and, and when, it, when you mention here, I know what you're saying, but when it says the historical filter we've been talking about is called prejudice, meaning to judge beforehand, I think many of us, I don't think we're judging beforehand, we're just looking at what has been taught uh, throughout history from the Roman Catholic Church. And so those, that's just one thing I think is a good point of clarification, is that the historical event uh, where we can trace our present division and I don't even know if I'd be considered Protestant, because there's a movement, the Anabaptists. Uh, also, it's just the historical, I mean, most of us would say historical, biblical Christianity from the early church, Peter, Paul, and, and what they said and, and, and what they did, that's, that's where we really hold to, um, which I'm sure you would agree with in other, other movements. So I'm just kind of, kind of wondering your thoughts on that, um, that you can see that we actually go back farther than the, than the Reformation to look at a lot of, of the uh, division. Sure, and um, yeah, I want to clarify that, but before I do, I, I need to uh, also be clear about something. You said that I don't agree with the teachings of the Catholic Church, or I forget how you put it, but the, the whole point of the book is to demonstrate through church teaching that, for example, the gospel, the message of salvation that you would preach off your pulpit is the same message that I would preach off of my pulpit, and I would have the backing of the church's official teachings. There's a difference between what we teach officially and what's popularly put out there. And, and, um, and most of the time, people uh, draw the conclusion that, well, because I've heard it enough from Catholic mouths, that must be what the Church teaches. And uh, that's, that's basically uh, how I'm approaching this, this term prejudice. It means to say that, hey, I've already got it in my mind, made up based on my experience, and so, um, you know, don't, you know, as you said in your own article, don't bother me with the facts. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I, I, I want to be very, very clear about that is, is uh, you know, I am not uh, positioning myself in contradiction to the, the church's official teachings, but certainly uh, many of the things that probably you have heard and, and based your opinion of Catholicism on 
I, it, it, it's not even a matter of, you know, do I agree or disagree. I would take these folks to the actual church's documents and say, here, this is where you're wrong. Particularly, let's say, about salvation. You know, most, most Catholics believe some form of works-based salvation, see. And I can demonstrate from our own teachings, certainly from the Bible, that that's erroneous. So uh, anyway, I wanted to clarify that. And yes, I absolutely agree with you that that uh, historically this thing was brewing for a long time. The reason why I, um, I pinpoint the Reformation is because that's when it became official. There was actually a break, you know, where where um, on both sides of the fence, you know, the uh, the uh, the Catholic Church distanced itself from Luther, and Luther distanced itself from the Catholic Church, and we have two very um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Well, certainly oppositional and even adversarial movements going on at the same time, which uh, which was uh, which was you might know, say a step higher or a step further than we've ever gone in church history. Normally, when people have broken from the church uh, in history, it's because it has been because of heresy, you know, like the the Gnostics yeah, yeah. or some of these other movements and everything. But point well taken, uh, Pastor. That um, well, you know. Had, in, in, and you're right, there was a big movement, because you had Luther in Germany, mm-hmm. John Knox, and John Knox in Scotland, Eric Zwingli in Switzerland. Right, Calvin. And, uh, of course, John Calvin, and, and there, was this, there was this big movement. And, you know, you brought up a good point. That might lead us into the next point of discussion, because um, with, I'm glad you, you clarified your book and the teachings of the Church, because here's where the confusion comes in. I just pulled these off of Catholic.com, yeah. the Catholic Church's website. Yep. Yep. So, you know, it says, and it gives the catechism number, 1030 defines purgatory as purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Now, to me, that's blasphemous. That's, that's demeaning the cross of Christ. Uh, and then he said, uh, which is experienced by those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still they're imperfectly purified. To me, that goes clearly against the teaching of Scripture that Christ, his death was sufficient on the cross. There's no need for purgatory. So what, what is the Catholic position? Because you find on Catholic.com, you, ha- you find uh, some of the popes reinforcing it. And, and so I think that's where the confusion comes in. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great question, and uh, it's a question I hear a lot. Um, and really, it's, a, it's an example of what I talk about in the stained glass curtain, namely that we have to see things in context. Just like in Scripture, we don't want to pull something out of context. Um, you know, pretty much uh, when people go hunting for a particular topic, unfortunately, when you go to sites like Catholic.com or, or some of these others that claim to be very orthodox in their Catholic teaching, uh, you don't see the context of salvation being outlined clearly. It's it's just not there. And so it's very easy to draw the conclusion that people, for example, would look at the, the uh, issue of purgatory as, as some kind of, you know, uh, paying for your own sins or anything else like that. So, so that's the importance of, of making sure that the foundation upon which we dialogue is clear, and that foundation is the message of salvation. So in the stained glass curtain... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I demonstrate, and I use the four spiritual laws... As, uh, as as my as my format, you might say, of the of the gospel message, I demonstrate that yes, absolutely, salvation and justification is by faith alone, in grace by grace alone through Christ alone, and that salvation is a is a work of Jesus. It's completed on the cross, 
and um, you know this is what our, our church officially teaches. Now then then we can we can be in a strong position and a secure position to be able to ask questions like okay so then what is the the role of works as James says in, in in his epistle what is the role of the Holy Spirit in purifying us how is it that a person who is saved and justified by the blood of Jesus here on this earth how is it that they make their transition ultimately into the presence of God where you know as as the Bible says uh, none but the just shall see him. Uh, no sin can enter into the presence of God. So, so you know, perhaps we would have different answers to that question, but if you, if you see what I just did, I, I put it in the context that both of us can agree upon, and that is the fact that this all starts and ends with the message of salvation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just curious, then, what is the church's, if this is not the church's position on purgatory, what is it? Because I met with the priest about a year and a half ago. His One of his members encouraged me to meet with him, actually, in Southern California, 4,000-member huge church, huge statue, Mary out front, and I brought up this purgatory issue. Mm-hmm. And he looked me at the eyes. I could not believe this. He said, but Shane, if you don't believe in purgatory, how do you deal with the shame and the guilt? And I about fell over. What do, you, what do you mean? How do I do it? It's the cross of Christ. Right. So right. this teaching is permeated throughout Roman Catholicism. Yep. In the area. So I'm just, I'm just curious. Then what is the church's stance on purgatory? Is it, is it totally uh, like they're asking Martin Luther to do? Are, are they recanting on it, or do they believe that there is a, a level? I don't even know what the right term would be. That there, there is a purification that happens after death, um, where we are purged of. Our sins. I don't, I'm just trying to better understand what the church's position then right. is. Right. It's not this. Right. So, so once again, your conversation with that pastor was a conversation in which he was obviously not equipped to uh, to dialogue with you in the context of the salvation message. And it would be no surprise to say that perhaps he himself has not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and so he's not even operating out of, yeah. out of salvation. Otherwise, where would that question be coming from? You know. Yeah. You do it the guilt and the shame. You hang it on the cross. That's you know, you're 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 free. You know, and again, that's what our church officially teaches. Okay, so back to your question. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you do with purgatory? All right. So the question becomes this: Let's let's say we are talking about a, a person who is who is justified by faith, who has properly received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, converted, born again, whatever term you want to use. Okay. So the question becomes: If we if we uh, come into the presence of a holy God, we can't take any sin with us. Now that is, that is first of all, uh, you might say, juridically adjusted already by our justification. There's, there's no question about, you know, uh, can you... Positionally, yeah, positionally. Positionally, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So as I, as I teach t- uh, people, uh, and, and you'll understand this, uh, this way of talking, I say, you know, if you're not saved, forget about purgatory. There's no second chance, there's no intermediate step, what 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 pur- purgatory or I love what the catechism calls it the final purification. What that state is all about is what happens to the human person who is not done with their complete purification and sanctification before we enter into the presence of God. So the way I like to explain it is this: on this side of glory, the Holy Spirit gets to work on us, and He wants to make us just like Jesus. You'd say Amen to that, right? Oh, for sure. Sanctification. All right. So, how does that happen? It happens through through a lot of positive things, and it also happens through the the scalpel of the Holy Spirit getting into our hearts and showing us the sin that's still there that needs to be, you know, 
not not conditionally, but uh, not positionally rather, but our condition needs to be turned over to him. He really does want us to grow in sanctity and holiness. So when we when we when we meet when we meet the Lord or when we cross over death's door, what do we do with the rest that is conditionally not purified? Well, our belief is that is that God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the rest. That's the final purification. Through the merits of his Son, by the action of the Holy Spirit, it's like he removes time and space, and we're standing face-to-face with the Holy God who is consuming fire. And if we're not used to that, you know, as, as, as we have seen so, much, so often in the Scriptures, uh, you know, standing face-to-face with God is an awesome and terrible thing, even though he's love. He's justice at the same time. And, all right, so, so there will be some kind of... I don't know what you want to call it, reckoning or some kind of, uh, uh, yeah, some kind of... Necessarily a purging, a purification? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think the main difference then is where, you know, when I read Paul's um, talking about the body is sown and perishable, but raised imperishable, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Incorruption, We see that once once the body is, is dead in the sinful fallen man, the flesh is dead, buried in the grave... And the soul, the, the spirit, goes to be with, with Christ and God. There would not be a need to purify or purge that, that uh, if you want to call it the spiritual side of man, because they've already been cleansed through the blood of Christ. So we wouldn't see an additional, um, an additional purging or an additional cleansing because it was already finished on the cross. But in, on this side of heaven, we have to carry around this dead and de- de- decaying flesh. But when it's buried, uh, we, we're raised in the newness of life. Uh, so I think that's that's probably the major difference, and you you would, the church teaches that there is something, even though the wording isn't maybe purging or purification. There's there's something additional that happens to our spirits then before we. Yeah, here here, here we're talking about um, we're talking about words that describe an unseen reality. I guess maybe another way of, of, of looking at it is to say that we are, I am a one whole individual, one whole person, so are you, so is everybody else. And our spirit man is, is intact, it is whole, it is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then, um, then takes care of all the rest of us, you see. And, and when, we, when we are raised up, we're going to be raised uh, in, in, a, in a body. We're going to we're going to be we're going to be raised in the body. We'll have a soul. We'll have a spirit. Uh, so basically, it's 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 a way to ask the question: How do I make my transition from who I am right now at the moment of death into this into this moment of glory? So you know, if um, if if uh, if God didn't care about the sin that does so easily beset us, as it says in Hebrews then, you know, the Holy Spirit would leave us just as we are and say, well, don't worry about it. Just live your life the best you can, and, and when you die, you know, it'll all be taken care of. Uh, no, the Holy Spirit wants to bring us conditionally into the holiness of, of, of the one who called us and the one who sanctified us. And so we would see that that, that, that final process, but whatever that is, you know, it could happen in the, in the blinking of an eye because we're outside of time, we're outside of space. Uh, you know, whatever it takes to transition me from who I am at the moment of death into a, a um, you know, a person who, like it says in First John 3, will be just like him, just like him. Got it. Whatever that is, we so, call that final purification. So is there, a, uh, is there a scripture reference for that, or is it, is it a papacy teaching? I'm just trying to, what, I've never seen a scripture uh, with purgatory well, come from sure. You know, people yeah. be beaten with many strides, and, you know, but that's that's not irrelevant for, for 
Yeah, um, one of one of the one of the ones that that tends to be uh, used in this context is in First Corinthians three. You know where <clears throat> Paul says that day will begin with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. You see, so there's going to be some kind of reckoning, some kind of judging, some kind of uh, calling into account of 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 how we live here. You know, Paul says in Romans, we're going to have to give an account for every every action right. we ever did, every thought we ever did. Yeah, no, so that's, well, he's talking about our our works. If it if it's hay, wood, and stubble, it's going to be burned up, and you'll be barely saved because the motives weren't pure. Testing the mm -hmm. motives were like mm -hmm. refined fire through gold. So, I, I for me, it'd be a quantum leap to try to apply that to some additional purging that needs to. Because the way it, 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 it it's, again just coming coming across being honest, it it, it sounds like. Christ's death on the cross wasn't sufficient to uh, purify us and make us in right standing so we can stand before a holy God. That, that was one thing, and then now we need something additional. So I think that's, that's kind of where the big you know, chasm is between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. Yeah, so, so, um, so uh, Protestant thinking wants to uh, safeguard the fact that it is only through Christ. And that, like you keep saying, and I absolutely agree with you, and so does the Catholic Church's teaching, his work is sufficient. This is what we would call an application of his work. It's an application of his work. It's taking what he did whole and complete and, again, bringing our, our, our position, I mean, bringing our condition up to our position 100%, uh, you know, so that finally they are identical. The same thing he's doing here by the power okay. of the Holy Spirit. Got it. So when we when Jesus cried out to tell us that it is finished, we would look at that as it's done. Its price has been paid. There's no additional work. So I think I think reader or listeners will have you know at least a better understanding of where you're coming from. And um, so that statement that I read is would not be of the well, but it's the Catechism of the Catholic Church, CC 1030. Yes. So I yes. wonder if they would still what they would agree with that purification. Uh, so as to achieve holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So I guess that would be their stance on that. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, and again, if I'm wrong, just just shut me up and correct it. But on the on the works issue, maybe that's why it's good you mentioned the works um, because on that same area, uh, Tim Staples, who writes for Catholic.com, uh, he said Paul did not eliminate works as necessary for salvation in any sense. And he cross references Romans six sixteen. Uh, Paul goes on to tell us that after baptism, obedience to Christ, that means good works, leads us to justification. And then he says, that sounds like there is more to this justification thing than faith alone. So again, we don't just take one person's writing, but Catholic.com is where um, the Roman Rome allows articles and, and doctoral positions to be posted. Um, so I wonder, what's the thing with the work? Uh, because like you said, in reading your book, I believe that that's what you believe, through faith alone, through Christ alone, the sola, the five sola scripture, and, and faith alone, different things. But how are they, they keep, they keep finding this, um, you know, that there's no justification through faith alone. You have to do certain things. Where our position would be, we do good works we be, because we've been saved. Uh, we don't do good works in addition to merit our salvation or add to our salvation. It, it's more of an outflowing Exactly, and that is the official teaching of the Catholic Church. Once again, uh, even though Rome allows, you know, Rome allows simply means that they're not policing everybody who goes on the internet. That would that would take, you know, an army. <laughs> so, 
So just because people are publishing on Catholics.com, they may even have, you know, some high-hitting leaders or bishops or authors to agree with them. That doesn't mean that they're in line, and particularly in the context of, of what we know to be true about salvation. Uh, sometimes, sometimes also it's a matter of how you're using the term justification, but I was so glad when in 1999, you know, the World Lutheran Federation and the, uh, the Catholic Church signed on to the joint, the joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification, in which those terms are absolutely clear. You know, I'll, I'll read to you, for example, it says, this is, this is something that is officially part of Catholic teaching. Justification takes place, quote-unquote, by grace alone, by faith alone, the person is justified apart from works. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. Through Christ alone are we justified when we receive this salvation in faith. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. So that I just read to you from official Catholic teaching. Right. So some of my brethren, some of my, some of my colleagues haven't haven't you know they haven't gone to the bone on this you know and and there have been there have been theologians and I won't name names but. Some I know personally, you know, who before this statement were going off and proving that justification is not by faith alone, and you know, sending out some of these folks who are who are pretty influential. Uh, you know, as I as I was mentioning, uh, went to went to great pain to to contradict. Uh, you know what was being taught by Protestantism, and, and to do all this to study on what the word justified really means, et cetera, et cetera. We, we have both come to an agreement. We've we've buried that hatchet in 1999 about the fact that uh, yes, uh, justification is by faith, by grace through Christ alone, and that good works play a role, as you as you said uh, so well, Pastor Shane. You know to basically uh, be the fruit, the demonstration. You know, uh, faith working through love, as, as Paul says, I believe, in Galatians, that a person is, in fact, saved. So has, has the Roman Catholic Church, as the, as the headship, have they, have they clarified this, Dan? I, I just read to you from our official documents, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was, that was an agreement with the Lutheran, and, oh, yeah, yeah, that is good, the 1999. Yeah. So that was signed on by, by Rome itself. Okay, so that's been something what, that's been pushed for years on... You know, you have to be part of the Catholic Church, you have to do communion, and you have to do works, and you have to do penance, and, you know, it was just an ongoing... Uh, do you know where it crept in, the workspace crept in? Um, I would say in uh, the first century in the Church of Galatians. <laughs> you know, there's that, there's that propensity in our hearts to want to quantify God's work and be able to measure it instead of having to rely on what Jesus did on the cross, because that's much more vulnerable. It's much more, uh, it, it shows that we have to have much more dependence than we, than we would like in the flesh. And so religion will always offer us the option to say, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's about doing the following things. Right, right. And, and, and so people with that propensity or that, that leaning will then take scriptures like, you know, faith without works is dead. Well, who's going to disagree with that? Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's what is, what is the role of justifying faith and what is the role of works? And how does that make sense then in, in James' statement? I think we finally ironed that out. And it's yeah, that's it's, true. And it's, all, it's all context. It's all context because James yep. is saying, show me your faith by your works and I'll show you my, you know, and, and the context is, hey, if you don't even have works, is your faith legitimate? Is it genuine? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that, that's, what, that's what he's talking about. So, what did, with, with, you know, when they built, uh, you know, the whole uh, coin in the coffer springs, the soul from purgatory,
Rome ever denounced that as well? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, you know, there there is plenty of evidence to say that um, you know what the Vatican Council did, Second Vatican Council in the in the '60s, was to uh, finally, finally. Uh, get off the defensive posture and begin acting on some of these constructive criticisms that we receive from from people uh, like like Martin Luther. You know, um, there was even a there was even a statement uh, basically uh, uh, praising Luther. You know, it was a, again a Catholic Lutheran Joint Commission in 1983, um, and 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 basically saying that. Uh, you know, he, he gave us uh, uh, fuel, you might say, for the fodder. He gave us stuff that we had to work on. And and uh, uh, here I can read it from right from here. It says, uh, indeed, is it not true that the Second Vatican Council even implemented requests that were first expressed by Martin Luther, among others, and as a result of which many aspects of Christian faith and life now find better expression than they did before? That was actually written in 1970. Wow, that is. What about if we move to the next topic? Because I know you, you're limited time. What about with Mary? Um, you know, I mean, I, again, on Catholic.com, and just reading from there, they wrote that within the New Testament, Mary's cooperation with God is ongoing as she conceived Jesus. Mary began to cooperate with the work of redemption, and then it concludes a few sentences later. She persists in the role as our Mother in Heaven today. And, um, I mean, I know the early church fathers that, that said on there, they, they looked to Mary as the new Eve, but, you know, when I read some of the early church fathers, um, you know, from Martyr to Irenaeus and Tertullian and uh, Jerome, it doesn't, they're not, I don't see them making that, some might, but making that connection that she's to be, um, you know, uh, uh, participating in our role as Mother in Heaven, as, as through redemption, we don't see the perpetual virginity. Uh, we obviously there's our children. We don't see immaculate conception, meaning she was born with without original sin. So, just what is the what is the the church's stance on that? The whole package. Sure. Um, now, here's here's where we would obviously diverge, uh, uh, even even with Orthodox, because not not all of us, the Orthodox, agree with the Catholic Church as well. But again, I want to I want to emphasize that we need to put these teachings in context. Most of the time, when people flip out about Mary and about the way we we Catholics regard Mary, it's usually if you if you if you investigate it, it's usually because people are not in a saving relationship with Jesus. Okay, so I find that where there is a there is a uh, very 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 strong works based you know religious do a lot of these things to honor Mary, where there is that basis, you talk to people and they're clueless about what the Bible and the Church's teaching have to say about salvation. And, and so, just like, just like anything in, um, in Christianity, you know, where, where, where we're not standing in the foundation, people will grasp and they will, they will uh, grab at anything that will give them some measure of comfort. And who doesn't want a mama, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's again the context we need to we need to look at this in. I'm going to read you a statement. So, but let me just clarify that. Do would the teach? Would you believe then? And does the church teach that she is was free of sin and in fact been conceived immaculately? Yes, and and again, this is where we will differ. But I want to I want to stress the fact that uh, you know before the church church's teaching says anything about Mary. 
it emphasizes that the, the unique and irreplaceable role of Jesus Christ as the Savior cannot be compromised, no matter how we talk about Mary, the saints, or any other aspect of salvation. Okay? So um, that's, that's the part that's underemphasized. And so probably what you're used to seeing is people gravitating, their hearts going towards Mary when they really don't have a saving personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, I've seen people who say, well, I, I can't pray to God, I go to Mary. Well, then that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's substituting Mary for, some, for a role that she's not meant to have. But I think they do it because the Church has pointed her in that direction. Um, I mean, Pope Pius IX I think it was 1854, he said, indeed, it was wholly fitting that so wonderful a mother should be so completely free from all taint of original sin. And there's this huge emphasis on that, and I don't see any scriptural support for, for Mary being without original sin. Would you say that's maybe one of where the papacy has uh, elevated you know, their, their, um, their authority above the scriptures, or do they find it in the scriptures? Well, yeah, uh, um, I'll get to that in just a second, but I want to I want to say I, I definitely want to say that uh, that type of declaration would be a fee enforcement to people who already are not in a saving relationship with Jesus. They would grab onto that, you know, yeah. uh, because that's elevating whoever in the heavenlies they feel is going to save them. Uh, you know, and let's face it, a lot of people do think that the saints or that Mary or, or even doing their own things, excuse me, their own religious works or the sacraments, that that's what's going to save them. Okay, so, so to your question, you know, is there any scriptural evidence for it? Well, you know, the, the, the Word says that she's full of grace. So this would be an interpretation, and, and you know, I don't, I don't expect you to agree with it, uh, but it would be an interpretation of what it means for her to be the fully graced creature of God. Okay, and admittedly, it's a long haul. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it took a long while before it was even defined as a dogma. Uh, you know, but w would I say that the Pope went beyond Scripture? I'd say no. He's interpreting, and, and, and it's not only he; it was the mind of the Church at the time, interpreting the Scripture in a certain way. Okay, and again, this is a bone of contention, and even the Orthodox, who have a strong devotion to Mary, don't agree with that doctrine. So. Yeah, it's it's one of those that that uh, it, it's 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 a big hairy mess because, like you say, it does help it does feed people who who or reinforce people in going to Mary for things that they really need to be going to Jesus for. Right. Okay. So this might be one of those situations then where where another complaint from Protestantism is elevating the the papal's authority or the words of the Pope and where. Because to just take full of grace and to really think it out or free of original sin, well, her parents conceived her. There was an immaculate conception, so that's why they have to bring an immaculate conception, because now they have to say, well, she must right. be immaculately conceived because right. Right. you know it just won't work out. So right. that's why we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And again, I'm not trying to grill you on I'm just trying no, to... No, 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 those are fair questions. These are fair you know, questions. Full of grace. I, would, I would say that when Mary, full of grace... Um, you know, believers are full of grace, full of God's grace and mercy and love, and um, so I just think making that connection is just, you know, not a good place to go. Yeah. Um, but I see what, you know, you've, you've got to, and that's where I think, you know, it, it is challenging because you, you want to hold to the teachings of the, of the, of the church and also, um, you know, um, not kind of, because uh, I, I think, think sometimes priests don't want to bring in their own opinions and challenge the papacy. Um, but 
you know, I just, I just support because I see you more as a modern day Martin Luther, um, you know, instead <laughs> of uh, trying to bring unity to the uh, Protestantisms or Protestants, you know, it, it's, it's trying to get the church back on track because I don't even know if we have time with transubstantiation where the, it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ and, you know, and people coming to a priest and can't go directly to God. I mean, to me, there's so many discrepancies that are pretty big that I, I it was it would be um, hard for me to have all of all of us all just come together and say, okay, we'll put all these aside because as you go down the line item of each of these, um, they're, they're pretty big, you know, especially with Mary and and, and uh, the authority of the Pope and and things like that. I know just in the news, he just changed the scripture on uh, God leading us in temptation into temptation, and um, you know that's debatable because the word temptation or lead us in the in the in the Greek and how they translated, but. I just think, you know, these things are just dangerous positions, and that's why uh, it's hard to, because I know you get frustrated, people get frustrated, why can't we all just come together? And that's why, because, uh, you know, we see her called the Queen of Heaven a lot, and we know Jeremiah rebuked that, um, and we just see, uh, it, it's hard, it's, it's good to fellowship, you know, lunch, and, and go out together and do things, but as far as worshiping God together, uh, there's just so many discrepancies that uh, I think it would be hard to do that. But I'm open for your thoughts on that. Well, and, and you're articulating, Pastor, you're articulating a valid uh, position and even a valid criticism. And I dare say that, that uh, you know, God will use what you have to say and what the Protestant uh, brethren have to say to sharpen us. And, and, you know, when we talk about unity in the church, we're no longer talking about trying to convince each other of each other's position, okay? We're talking about moving towards a third place in which, because we have dared to fellowship with each other, and, and I, will, I will add, you know, based on the salvation message, okay, that's, where we're, that's, that's the first item that we have to get straight. I mean, there's going to be, there should be no dialogue, there's no, there's no, uh, basis for any dialogue if we're not talking about the salvation message in the first place, because right. that defines Christian life. Um, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that yes, you and I continue to dialogue about these things. I believe that, that you know, what you have to say will sharpen us, and what we have to say will sharpen you, and we will, we will proceed forward to a third position where it will be a miracle of God, you know, that he will bring us back into the unanimity as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, not only of, 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 uh, of mind and heart, but also of word, of doctrine. Um, I, I, that's, that's why I say that I believe is possible. But one, one component that's vital here, and if, if the listeners hear anything today, I hope you hear this. Let's start with the proper information. So, uh, you know, these other hot topics that you've, you've mentioned, and I'm, I'm prepared to, to discuss any of them with you, but, but oftentimes... Just as I did with, with, you know, the, the, the things that you brought up so far. Oftentimes I have to kind of do the damage control of grounding people in what does the official teaching of the church say versus what Catholic.com says or what some particular priest says or what, you know, especially people who are raised Catholic, they were, they heard X, Y, and Z from their religious educators and you go, oh my God, no wonder we're in such a mess, you know. So yeah. if anything, do I'm your homework. Oh, sorry. I mean, just Todd, how much time more do we have? Um, I mean, we've kind of gone over it already, but you know, it's okay because it's a great conversation. <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah, we're we're up in like forty minutes right now. Okay. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, if you have any quick thoughts on some of those, as far as 
why go to a priest and not God alone in confessional? Uh, and it seems like you know people are dependent upon the Roman Catholic Church for communion, confessional, and and and, and penance. And uh, yeah, we, know, we don't. Uh, yeah, we don't teach that you have to go to a priest and not to God alone. Uh, the only time we that, what's that? You just offer it. You just offer it like as a as a. A resource if that's what people choose to do? Well, there, there's a couple of things going on. Number one, if a person's in serious sin, uh, what we're saying is, look, you, you do need some ministry. All right? You don't, you don't need just a, you know, a, 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 you need a God connection, but you also need, a, you need some ministry time. So it's the, the, we call it the sacrament of reconciliation. We don't even call it confession, per se, anymore. Uh, the official t- term is the sacrament of reconciliation. Reconciliation happens through the ministry of, of, you know, uh, anointed people who, who, can, who can minister that. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, that um, the way we see reconciliation is not only a vertical but also horizontal. So when I sin, uh, I not only hurt my relationship with God, I also lessen the anointing and the holiness of the whole body of Christ because we're all connected. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, the, uh, when one part is honored, the whole body is honored. When one part suffers, the whole body suffers. So part of that sacrament of reconciliation is not only reconciliation with God, it's reconciliation with the community. It's, it's um, you know, a representative of the community saying, we forgive you, you're one of us, you are positively reinstated again. I can remember uh, reading history and in the state of Illinois when, when the settlers first came in and the Baptist churches that were in the small towns and camps and whatnot, if you, uh, if you sin, because people knew each, one, uh, each other and knew what their business was, you had to go and confess before the whole congregation, before they reinstated right. you. <laughs> right, wow. So it's, yeah, it's, meant to be, it's meant to be a ministry, and you know, like Jesus said about the Sabbath, we also say about the sacraments. The sacraments are made for man, not man for the sacraments. Right, right, and there's different views on that as well, too. Uh, so I think the main takeaway, then, would be from this, is that whoever's listening... Make sure you're trusting in Christ alone and His yes. finished work on the cross. Yes. Uh, not your works, not Mary interceding, not saints interceding. That's right. Uh, just just on Christ alone. That's right. Uh, and and putting repenting and, and believing in Jesus. So um, anyway, I think that's all I have. Obviously, you know, there's there we could hit on some of these other topics, but um, I think the gist of it is I appreciate your time coming on and and we see why there are some some glaring differences. You know, with Mary and and um, purgatory and, and different things. So I think readers or listeners, I keep saying readers, mm-hmm. listeners will get a better idea of where you're coming from. And, and uh, I, I don't even mind encouraging them on to read the stained glass curtain. I think it was a good, uh, you know, there's just some things I highlighted that, you know, I probably, any author would say things differently or want a clarification on. And some of the things I did, I did ask clarification on during the, the quick podcast here. So anyway, I think that sums it up for us. Do you have any final words, Dimitri or Todd? Well, I would I would say first of all thank you for this opportunity because this is this is uh, uh, this is the Holy Spirit in operation I believe and mm-hmm. and I just want to underline what you said the bottom line is don't trust anyone or anything else whether you're Catholic Protestant non denominational if you're Jewish if you're if you're Muslim if you're uh, Jehovah's Witness if you're Mormon uh, salvation comes through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and everyone must have a personal transaction of faith in which we repent of our sins and in which we uh, deliver our life over to Him. And the good news is that He picks up the rest and we live a new life with the Holy Spirit. And that, that will last forever.
that's in case in case you haven't figured it out yet. That is my hope and Todd's hope is yes. that people would listen to this and be actually saved, genuinely yes. saved. Yeah, uh, this wasn't a time to uh, bicker and complain and fight. Even though no. I, I believe I brought up strong points and you had mm-hmm. your arguments, and you know, but the end of the day is, what are you doing with Jesus Christ? And that's my concern with so many, not even the Roman Catholicism in the Protestant Church. Yes, you know, they're just there's not saving faith in the in the Protestant Church. They're mainly trusting in their good works. Well, I'm a good person. In the Catholic Church, you see a lot of people trusting in uh, Mary or going to uh, confessional or taking sacraments, and they're trusting in those works as well. So you, you kind of see the same thing, but they look at it differently. So my mm-hmm. hope is that people learn from this and, and come to Saving Faith, and we'd love to hear from you if you did. That's the goal of this ministry. Amen. And I would, I would also, uh, I would also offer that if anyone wants more information on the book, they can visit my website. Uh, it's the stainedglasscurtain.com. There's also contact uh, contact page, and uh, you know we'd love to hear from people if we can be of service or uh, make the book available. There you go. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I'm, I'm, mine's at shaneidelman.com, and they can find the article easily on, on the, the article about Roman Catholicism that you contacted me on. Um, so anyway, I think that sums it up. Todd, you want to close us out? Yeah, you guys already did. I was going to say, uh, let me know your online uh, you know, way that we can get in touch with you. But you both did it already, so uh, you did my job for me today. <laughs> but uh, great conversation, both gentlemen. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I just you know, want to close by saying, you know, we got to remember, there's no denominations in heaven. Uh, so the most important thing is to come, like both of you have said today, to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That is the key. It's the biggest decision I ever made. I know both these gentlemen would probably agree with that as well in their life. Absolutely. And absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dimitri and Shane, Pastor Shane, and we just appreciate you guys. We honor you. Please go visit their sites and, and, and listen to the, the, the information on there. There's a lot of great information that you can learn and continue this discussion and learn more. Thank you both gentlemen for being on today. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Uh-huh. Bye now.